Amen. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4 this morning, we're going to begin reading in verse 31. You can find it on your pew Bible in front of you on page 859. I do encourage you to read along to see that this truly is God's word to you this morning. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 31. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. He cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirit, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he rose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. They appealed to him on her behalf. And he took, excuse me, and he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. He laid his hand on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed, went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues. Of Judea. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, you may be seated. Many of you probably have seen the movie or read the book, Catch Me If You Can, about Frank Abagnale, who was a con artist and an imposter. But there was actually a man before him, Ferdinand de Mara, who is known as the greatest imposter ever. Ferdinand was born in 1921 and was a runaway from home at age 16. Never finished high school, never went to college, and yet he was extremely intelligent and bright, gifted with a photographic memory. He could impersonate about any person in any position or vocation necessary. And so, even though he was not formally trained, he masqueraded as the following. A civil engineer, a sheriff's deputy, an assistant prison warden, a doctor of applied psychology, a hospital orderly, a lawyer, a child care expert, a monk, an editor, a cancer researcher, and a teacher. And in fact, he was so skilled and so intelligent that most never knew that he was not these things. But even probably more impressively, if you can put it that way, and more notoriously, he impersonated a trauma surgeon on a Royal Canadian Navy destroyer during the Korean War. And while on board, he performed 16 surgeries on combat casualties, including major chest surgery. And miraculously, none of those that he operated on died. Even though he did all of these things, 
He was authorized to do none of them. And he was eventually found out to be a fraud. So you know, fraudulent activity is still a major problem in our culture today. And there's probably nothing more sickening than to be taken advantage of, to have trust betrayed, a false hope given. And we know in the scriptures that there were many false Christs and Messiahs before the time of Jesus. We read about this in Acts chapter 5. In fact, it includes two, two of them, Thutis and Judas the Galilean. It says that even some 400 people joined one of them for a time. But it did not last because they were false. They were fakes. They were fraudulent messiahs. And so perhaps the question could be asked, should be asked, how do we know if Jesus was not the same? How do we know that Christ and Christianity specifically is not one of the greatest frauds of all of human history? Well, I think we can see from our passage this morning that we can know Jesus to be truly the Messiah, truly the Lord, because he proves himself over and over again, and he does so with authority. It's one thing to say something, it's another to back it up. Jesus always backed it up. He wrote checks, as it were, that could be cashed. Everything he said, everything he did was as good as gold. And so Jesus was and is the the real deal. He is the true Savior and Messiah of the world, of you and of me. He is the true King of kings, and he is authorized to execute his kingdom in this world. And such he can be relied upon. He can be trusted in. And we see that this morning in this passage in three ways. All three took place on one day, one busy Sabbath day. But three ways that Jesus demonstrates his authority. And those three ways are our three points this morning. We see authority in word, in spirit, and in body. First, the authority in word. We see that Jesus leaves Nazareth and is ministering in Galilee, specifically Capernaum. It says in verse 31, and he went down to Capernaum. Now, when we think of going down, usually we mean going south. We talk about that. I'm going down to South Georgia, or I'm going down to Florida. Here, down means elevation, because Capernaum was actually north of Nazareth, He was going down in elevation to this fishing port in northwest Galilee, there on the Sea of Galilee. And this Capernaum proved to be a home base for Jesus while he ministered in Galilee, most likely because it was the hometown of Peter and James and of Andrew and John. Jesus there, as it says, entered into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So we mentioned last week, the synagogue was the local place where they gathered together to worship, a worship that is not altogether different than our worship. And that is where Christ went on the Sabbath place, to that place of worship. And it's the second week in a row now that we've seen Jesus ministering on the Sabbath day. And I think that is worth repeating 
Here is the Son of God who had perfect communion with the Father at all times and in all places, coming to the public worship of God. In other words, he wasn't often in private prayer or private devotion. We know that he did that at other times. But on the Sabbath day, he was in the place of worship with the people of God. Now we know the Sabbath was the the seventh day or Saturday in the Old Covenant. And now it has become the, the first day or Sunday because of Christ's resurrection on the first day of the week. But this gathering together on the Sabbath day is the pattern for the life of Christ as well as the Christ-like follower. As I mentioned, there is absolutely a place for private devotion. And we ought to be doing that throughout the week. There's a time to listen to sermons and podcasts and watch live streams and, and read good Christian books and material. But none of that replaces the public gathering of the Lord's people on the Lord's day. Why? Because that is where Christ promises to be. As we heard last week, it's where Christ comes home. It's where Christ comes to us week after week. It's where the word is given, where the sacraments are distributed. It's where the fellowship of saints take place, all of which are means of grace. It's the means by which the Holy Spirit strengthens you and blesses you. It's where you have your faith and trust grow in Him. Now I know that Sundays can be a struggle Especially if you have children, we have four. And if you've been wrangling with work and with children and with your busy schedule all week, it's, it's difficult, it's easy to say, well, let's just take a break, let's have a little bit of downtime, let's have a little bit of me time. Especially when there's so much that's competing for our time all throughout. And so I know it takes dedication to get here week after week. But it is the command of the Lord to not neglect the assembling together. But it's a command, as we will see throughout this passage, that comes with a blessing. There's nothing this side of glory that will be more beneficial for you and your family than regular week in and week out participation of the Lord's day. So make it a part of your schedule, as many of you have. Just like you, you brush your teeth, just like you work out on the Lord's day, we are to be in the Lord's house. Yes, no doubt, God is at work other days of the week for sure. But I think what we've seen in these two passages, these last two weeks, is that there is a special blessing on the Sabbath day. The day that God has set apart for our blessing. And so be in that place of blessing. And notice what Jesus does in that place. On that Sabbath day, in that synagogue, it says that he began to teach them. And it says that the people, verse 32, were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. They were astonished, not because he was entertaining, not because he told a lot of stories and a lot of jokes, but because he had authority. 
He was very much different than the, the scribes, the, the teachers that they were used to hearing because the scribes of that day would say, well, this scribe says this, this rabbi says that, and so therefore this is what we are to think or this is what we are to believe. But Jesus taught directly. He spoke directly to these people that were hearing his teaching. In fact, he could say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And as a result, no one had spoke like that before. No one had spoken with that type of authority. So much so that Christ could end the Sermon on the Mount with these words. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Do you hear what Jesus says? Do you hear the difference? Jesus did not say, everyone who hears the words of God and does them. No, he says, whoever hears my words and does them will be like a house that is built on a firm foundation. Jesus said again and again in his teaching that his words were the words that were to be listened to. And no other teacher could say this. And you might even ask, how is it that he could say such a thing as that? Well, because he was and is the word. He is the word made flesh, that he is not the one that just reveals God. He is God. He doesn't just speak about God. He is divine himself. And therefore, his teaching was even greater than the prophets that were sent by God because the prophets were sent with delegated authority, authority that came from God. But the authority that Jesus had was self-authenticating. It came from him because of who he was and who he is. And so when he spoke, he spoke with one that had authority. When he taught, he taught as one that had power. He could do no other. This is the same one, we remember, that spoke and everything came into existence. The one that spoke on each day of the week and there it was through the power of his word. And that is the same one that speaks. He's the same one that teaches here. And so when he taught on Scripture or he spoke of God or the kingdom of God, it wasn't as some distant third party. He spoke with freshness because all of these subjects he invived. It's similar to someone who can read about someone that, that has heard and heard the history of World War II or, or someone who lived World War II. Whose account would you rather have? Of course, it's the one that lived it. The same thing is here. Jesus lived it. He was it. And therefore, people responded to him. And that's important to note because that was Jesus' primary ministry on earth for, for three years. He was a preacher. He was a teacher. In fact, we see that at the very end of our passage this morning, don't we? Look down at verse 43, the people want to keep him there, but what does he say to them? I, notice this, must preach. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns as well, because listen to this, for I was sent for this purpose. 
Do you want to hear the purpose statement of Christ? Here it is. He said, I was sent to preach. And that is still his primary task today. Christ preaches to you and to me through the preaching of his word. The Apostle Paul makes this abundantly clear in Romans chapter 10. He says, how will they call on him? That is, how will they call on Christ in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Do you notice what the Apostle Paul says in there? It does not say, how will they call on him whom they have never heard about? That's not what he said. He says, how will they call on him of whom they have never heard? That they hear directly. That you are to hear the voice of Christ. How? Through the preaching of his word. Jesus says in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That's why we come under the preaching of God's word. It's not to come hear this guy. Heaven help you if that's the reason why you come. My words are nothing. My words are vain. They are futile. They are temporary. But his words, his words are everlasting. His words are full of power and of authority. They, they bring life. Just as God created all of the life that we see around and he spoke it into existence, he speaks that word of existence into our hearts and into our minds. That's why it's my constant prayer that these words would not be just my words, but that they would be the words of the Lord, that his word would change lives and would do so even this day. And that's why we want to be so rooted. That's why we want to be so based in Scripture. Because it's God's word that is so powerful. It's God's word that is authoritative. It's God's word that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. That's authority. That's power. So don't believe it because I say it. Believe it because God said it through his word. That's the word of God that is preached and teached to you. And so Jesus is the the real deal because his word comes to us even this day, just like it did that day, with authority and a power. And you should be astonished by it again and again and again, how it speaks directly to our hearts and to our minds and to our lives. Well, second, we see authority in spirits. We see that on that Sabbath, there was a a counter-reaction from the kingdom of darkness We know Satan hates the word of God from going out. And that service, that worship service, the the preaching, we think, was interrupted that day in quite a a rude way. Satan and his minions are, are never gentlemen. They never come at an opportune time. No time is ever good, but they deliberately pick a time to to distract and to divert from the word of God. And we see that here in verse 34 with this man with an unclean spirit of a demon cries out, how, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Three sentences, two questions and a statement. What do you have to do with us? Literally, what is it to us and to you, Jesus, 
Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. So do you see how this demon-possessed man knows the, the distinction and difference between Jesus and them, that is the, the evil spirits, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. He understands the authority of Jesus to, in this case, to destroy them. He also knows the identity of Jesus, the, the, that he is the son of God. If you're following along, that's a, that's a great three-point sermon. And yet it comes from the mouth of a demon, a demon-possessed man. So as James says in James 2, 19, even the demons believe and shudder. As one commentator says, this was a confession of truth, but it was not a confession of faith. And it's a good reminder of us that our faith needs to be more than just truth and more than just good theology. J.C. Ryle puts it this way, the mere belief of facts and the doctrine of Christianity will never save our souls. Such belief is no better than the belief of devils. They all believe and know that Jesus is Christ. They believe that he will one day judge the world and cast them down to endless torment and hell. It's a solemn and sorrowful thought that on these points, professing Christians have even less faith than the devil. Let us take heed that our faith be a faith of the heart as well as that of the head. You notice that it must be a faith of the heart and not just of the head. And that's why I think Martin Luther says it best. It's one thing to say Christ is Savior. It's quite another to say Christ is my Savior and my Lord. He says the devil can say the first. Only the true Christian can say the second. But it's under that second statement that he is my Christ, that he is my Lord, that we come under another, underneath a new authority, a new dominion. That Satan and his kingdom are, are pushed out. Yes, they are powerful. Yes, they are strong. But they must acquiesce to the kingdom of God and to the kingdom of Christ. Just like the moon is bright at night, but you don't see it during the day. Why? Because the sun is that much brighter. So too, the, the presence of Christ here extinguishes the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus casts out this demon from this man with just a word. You notice that. He says in verse 35, be silent and come out of him. Notice there was no head spinning, no vomiting as some movies might portray. No, just the simple authoritative word of God from the mouth of Christ. And again, Jesus proves himself by his word as well as authority in that word over that of spirits in the kingdom of darkness. Third, we see another authority in body. Jesus left the synagogue. Remember, this is all in one day. And you might think, wow, this is, this is tiring just reading about it. Yes, that was the life of, of Christ. And Peter's wife's mother, his mother-in-law was sick. We do not know with what. Simply says that she had a high fever. Perhaps it was an early strain of COVID. <laughs> just, just kidding. We don't know what it was, but we know that it says that it was quite severe. It says that he had a, a, a high fever and no doubt they appealed on her behalf because they were thinking that she was going to die if Jesus doesn't 
intervene. And notice Jesus doesn't ignore it. He doesn't think that this is below him. He doesn't say to them, do you not understand how busy of a day I've had? Do you not see all that I've done already? Besides, I have more important things to do. I've been casting out demons. I can't deal with this petty illness. No, Jesus hears. And even more importantly, he, hear, he cares. And just as when we come to him with our prayers and our petitions of, of healing for those that are sick and dealing with various illness and recoveries from surgery, it demonstrates that the Lord is not only just the Lord over cosmic affairs, he's the Lord over domestic affairs. That no request is too great, nor are those too small. And Jesus ever kind and tender comes and stands over her. In the Gospel of Mark, we read that he lays his hand on her. And we see the power of human touch, in this case, the power of divine touch. And he rebukes the, the fever. And the fever is lifted up from her. And she is able to be lifted up. And so much so that she is able to go and, and serve those that are there. That she doesn't just get up and go, yeah, I feel a little bit better, but I'm still a little bit achy, a little bit wheezy. I probably need to go back to bed and, and rest up. No, she has full strength. And we see that, don't we? we? We don't see just partial healings. We don't see just partial casting out. You know, we see full healings, full delivery of these people. And what we see again with these two stories back to back is that there is a fallen spiritual world and that there is also a fallen physical world. And those things should not be seen as being one and the same. Sickness demonstrates that we are indeed fallen people, part of a fallen world. Our bodies are, are fallen. They break down and, and fall apart even as we return back to the dust from which we have come. But Jesus, too, has the power to deliver us from sickness and ailments. Sometimes he does it supernaturally. Other times he does it through means, medicine, and doctors. But we believe that the Lord is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. But again, do not let those of our charismatic brothers or Pentecostal brothers let you believe that all sickness or ailment is of the devil or of the prince of darkness or that healing is necessary in every case and that if you do not receive healing it's because of your lack of faith that is to be anathema God can and does use sickness and even death or death a part of his purposes I think I've told you this story before, but I was once praying with some fellow police chaplains, and we were praying with one of our police majors who had a 20-year-old daughter who had a rare form of cancer. And one of the chaplains prayed, Lord, we know that this cancer is not a part of your plan for her life. A prayer like that will make a Presbyterian jump out of his skin. <laughs> if it's not his plan, whose plan is it? A cancer and sickness can even be, yes, a part of the fallen aspect of this world, but God, yes, has allowed it 
And we don't always know why. We don't understand. There's definitely that, that wrestling with these things that are going on in the world, but we know that he is completely sovereign. And even though we don't know the purpose and we don't know the plan, we know that he has a plan. And sometimes he does heal, and other times he does not. As Job says, the the Lord gives and the, the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. That is the only hope and confidence that we can have. But we do believe in healing, and we ought to pray for healing, even supernatural healing. I'm privileged to be a part of a, a church and to minister along with elders that believe in James five fourteen. That says, if any of you are sick, let them call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him or her, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord to pray for healing. And I've seen that prayer answered in miraculous ways and providential ways. And other times I've seen those prayers unanswered according to his will, but not ours. Yet all of it demonstrates our Lord's authority over sickness. Again, in this passage, we have these three ways that Jesus demonstrates the authority that he has on that one Sabbath day. And I think they're all interrelated. Yes, Christ is the the sole authority of our life. I think that is something that we would all sign off on, wouldn't we? But what does that mean? Well, it means that he has the authority of his word that governs our life. And when I say his word, I mean all of it. From Genesis all the way to, to Revelation. That all of it is essential and life-giving. Even the parts that we think may not be, like like Leviticus and some of these genealogies. And therefore, we want to hear the voice of the Lord in His Word and learn to follow Him. That's why I want to encourage you, if you haven't been a part of our Sunday School series, we're we're helping you to, to read and interpret the Scripture so that ultimately you can not just show everybody how amazing you are at your Bible teaching and your Bible skills and your theology, but rather so that you can hear the voice of God. Hear the voice of our shepherd, the one that is leading us. Because that's what we desire. And through his word, that word brings comfort. And that word sometimes brings conviction, doesn't it? And that conviction is not a a bad thing. That is the Holy Spirit at work. And so do not fight it. Do not resist the Holy Spirit, but live in compliance to him. His rule, his reign, his way. For that is the rule and reign of, of Jesus in us. And therefore, we are constantly repenting and changing and conforming and reforming to the image of, of Christ that we would be made Christ-like. That is our desire, and even more so, it's the desire of Christ for us. But what kind of Christ do we have? What kind of Lord do we have? Is he one that is just a, a cruel dictate? It tells us what to do and how to do it and, and how high to, to jump. And our response is just to be, well, how high are we supposed to jump? No, we see that his lordship, as we submit to it, brings freedom. It brings life. 
Again, look at this man that was demon-possessed. I think when we read such stories, we think, wow, this poor, unfortunate soul. But do we not realize, no, that was us. That we were under the power and sway of Satan. Perhaps not possessed in the same way that this man was, but Paul makes it abundantly clear if we follow the course of this world, we're following the prince of the power of the air. In other words, the devil himself. That was us. What have we been delivered from? We've been delivered from that kingdom of darkness through his word, through the power of Christ. Just as Christ said to this man, come out. So he has said to each and every one of us, come out of that darkness. Come out of that death. Come into the light. Come into the freedom. Come into the newness of life that is in him and him alone. He has freed us spiritually, hasn't he? And then that spiritual life also bleeds into our physical life. Because he's not just the Lord over our spirits or over our souls. He's the Lord over all of us, every aspect, and we cannot disconnect those things. And so therefore, he's the Lord over our time. Just as we mentioned, one day out of seven. Again, for what reason? Well, the reason is so that we could have rest, so that we could have refreshment, that we can have blessing. He's the Lord over our money. He commands that we give a a tithe, 10% to him. Why? So that He can control our finances? No, because he says to us, test me and see if I will not open the heavens and render blessings upon you. He's the Lord over our bodies. Again, why? So that he can be a killjoy? No, he's the Lord over our bodies, how we care for our bodies, how we use our bodies as the way and the path of true joy in life in peace. Do we see through this passage that nothing is outside of his rule and outside of his reign? As the Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper said, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign, does not cry, mine. And therefore, there is not one square inch of our life that we can therefore say, no, this is mine. Lord, that's yours. This is mine over here. No. We cannot say, Lord, you can't have it. You can't touch this or that. But in the light of this passage, what we should see is, but why would we? Why would we want to keep it for ourselves? Why would we not give it over to the Lord? Why would we not surrender to him? Our culture hates authority. All forms of of authority. Because at the root of it, we are told there's no one that is trustworthy. Because all authority, we're told, is seen as being abusive. As it's used for a means to an end, and that means is not good, and that end is not good. It's just to have the person that has the authority rule over or dominate. And sadly, in human forms, that oftentimes is the case. But my friends, we see in this passage the greatest authority ever. As I said, from the cosmic to the domestic, from the greatest to the smallest. And yet, what do we see in this authority? It's not selfish. It's not self-centered. It's not abusive. But it's loving. It's kind. It's compassionate. 
In other words, through these passages, we see that Jesus is trustworthy because he is worthy. And therefore, what a a blessing, what a privilege it is to, to lay it down, lay it all down, to surrender everything at his feet for us to, to come and to confess. And I think we need to make this confession. I know I need to make this confession that oftentimes we're wound up a little too tight. I have this feeling that I need to, to keep it all together. That everything and everyone is relying upon me. Am I the only one? What we need to realize is no. There is only one that everyone and everything is relying upon. And he's got it. He's got it under control. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't need my help. And therefore, we can faithfully follow. And that way is not a mystery. That way is not unknown to us. He has made it very known. And therefore, what a relief. Because when we understand it, when we see it, when we read it, when we hear it, when Christ, by the Spirit of God, preaches it into our hearts, into our minds, we realize, that, yes, that's what I was called to. And that is what I am called to do in this world. And the world makes sense. And my place in that world makes sense. No doubt you probably heard over the last few days, and if you didn't, that's quite a ride about this person, famous NFL quarterback who went on a darkness retreat. Four days, four nights in complete silence and darkness because, quote, he wanted to have a better sense of where he came from and where he's at in his life. It's not found in darkness, my friends. It's found in the light. It's found in the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Luke is demonstrating and has demonstrated through these last passages that that revelation, that glory, that light has been shown. And we must respond by laying down our life again and again and again underneath his rule, underneath his reign, underneath his authority. As we give ourselves body and soul, life and death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He is not a fake. He is not a fraud. He is the Lord and the Lord of all. And he is worthy of all of our lives. Amen. Join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the Lord that you are to us. Lord, we know that we have rebelled against it. We have fought against it. Oh Lord, even as you said to Saul, then Paul, why do you kick against the goads? Lord, we have kicked against the goads, against your authority and against your word, O oh Lord, rather than laying down our life, realizing that in perfect submission to you, Lord, there is life, there is peace, there is joy, there is freedom that comes from you. That you are, as we heard last week, the, the one that proclaims liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, freedom to those that are oppressed. Lord, what a blessing it is to give our lives to you, all of them, and know that you receive us. You accept us, O oh Lord. 
And even better, you are changing us and transforming us into the image of Christ. We pray as we submit ourselves to you, as we bow the knee again, Lord, would we do so humbly and that you, O Lord, would use us and that you would give us the Spirit until we would be made completely Christ-like in your glory and in the fullness of your kingdom one day yet ahead. Until then, O Lord, we ask for your help and your aid through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in the name of Christ.